turn in your Bible, please, to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. You'll notice that a number of the songs we sang this morning were written by Ira Sankey. And the last song the choir just sang is another Ira Sankey song. And they used to sing it in the great revivals with D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey across America and in England. And the songs, Lord, lead me to some soul today, teach me, Lord, just what to say, were inspired by the ministry and life of D.L. Moody. And they were dedicated to him in their original manuscript. We thank the Lord for Mr. Moody. Now, we do not come today to praise D.L. Moody. We come to praise Jesus, thanking the Lord for his ministry, for all God does in our lives. But we also need to remember that God uses human instruments. Try to think for a moment, who did God use to reach you for Christ? Well, God used a man named Finley F. Gibson to reach me for Christ. One of the interesting things about Dr. Gibson, in 1899, he graduated from the seminary in Louisville. During that year, his final year in in seminary, he heard D.L. Moody preach. And he challenged those young preachers and the people that filled the Warren Memorial Presbyterian Church at the corner of 4th and Broadway in Louisville to speak to at least one person about Jesus every day. That was Mr. Moody's theme. One night he went to bed, and as he tried to go to sleep, he thought something's wrong. And then he thought, well, I have not spoken to anybody about Jesus today. He got up and put his clothes on, went out on the windy city of Chicago late in the night, and he saw a man walking down the street. He walked up to him and he said, Sir, do you know Jesus as your Savior? The man said, That's none of your business. And Mr. Moody turned to him and he said, Sir, that is my business. Man. The man was a little offended and went on down the street Moody went back home. He did what he had promised God he would do. That man wandering around the city couldn't get that question off his mind. He asked somebody where that big fellow lived. They pointed, told him where he lived, and he went over and knocked on Moody's door, and he said, Sir, I want to apologize to you for saying that was none of your business. And when you told me it was your business, you convinced me you were right. He said, would you tell me how to know Jesus? He got saved. When Dr. Gibson heard that challenge, he decided also to speak to at least one person about Jesus every day. He went downtown in Louisville that very day and sat down on the streets, on on the steps of the city hall, down on Market Street, I believe, or Main Street. He led a man to Jesus that day. He never quit all the rest of his ministry trying to win somebody to Jesus every day. One of those days, he came to see me. And I was that one person he witnessed to about Jesus that day. You see, there's a chain reaction. 
I would like to challenge us again. Let's speak to at least one person about Jesus every day. Some of you will accept that challenge, and God will use you. He'll use you in an unusual way. And there'll be a chain reaction, and you'll see people saved. Not everybody you speak to will come to Christ, but many will. In the book of Jude, we begin with verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These are they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. The subject today is taken from verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Note the context of this passage. This is a chapter that deals with a warning concerning false teachers and apostasy. Apostasy sometimes is misunderstood, the doctrine of apostasy. Some believe that that teaches that those who are saved need to watch it lest they be lost after they're saved. If you study the scriptures carefully, the word apostasy refers to those who have made a superficial profession and then drift away from it. They were professors but never possessors. A close study of the book of Jude reveals that. We don't have time to go into all of it this morning, but let's notice just some of the admonitions and exhortations given beginning in verse 17. Number one, remember the warning. Remember the words which were spoken by the apostles. They, should, they said there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These are they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit of God. We need to warn ourselves that not everybody peddling a doctrine about God is accurate. There are many false teachers. Secondly, verse 20, build yourselves up on your faith. Beloved, build yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now in this chapter, just one chapter, is all the book of Jude consists of. Jude is pitting those who have made superficial professions and comparing them with those who have made real professions of possessed faith. And in the first part of the chapter, he deals with those. He says, uh, these are trees without fruit, withered, with twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever, and on and on. But then he says concerning those who are really saved, there's some things you need to watch. Number one, 
watch out for the false teachings. Those who are scoffers, those who are mockers. They're sensual, having not the Holy Spirit of God. Secondly, he says, build up yourselves on your faith. We need to continually be building ourselves. You know, some have written books on self-esteem and how to build your own life and how to build your self-worth and so on. Well, all of those things are very good, but one doesn't really have to buy a whole lot of books to know how to build up himself. Now, we're not talking about bragging on ourselves or becoming conceited. We're talking about building our faith. There are certain faith builders, the Word of God, prayer, fellowship with Christian friends who are like-minded, a willingness to say, I'll do what he asks me to do. I'll go where he wants me to go. A willing heart, a faithful, loyal spirit. Build up your own faith. And then he says in verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of God. Notice that. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Those who have been saved are constantly aware that they're under the mercy of God. None of us deserve salvation. If we look back and try to review our lives and we see all the sin, all the mistakes, all the failures, we could become defeated until we come to the mercy of the Lord and recognize we have been forgiven. A Christian is not perfect, he is forgiven. And this says, let's build up our faith on that wonderful truth that we're under the mercy of God. And if God has forgiven us, we need to forgive ourselves. We do not need to look back at our tragic missteps, except to remember that we don't want to do that anymore. But we need to look with anticipation to what the Lord is guiding us in as we serve Him. And then notice in verses 22 to 20, or rather verse 24, rest in his ability. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We don't have to worry every day. I wonder if I'm going to be lost. I wonder if I'm going to get out of the will of God so much that God won't love me anymore. This says to those who are saved, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. He's able. Not I'm not able. You're not able, but He is. And so we build up our faith on His ability to keep us in His will. Now the thing we want to focus on for just the next few moments is verses, or verses 22 and 23. Notice this. And of some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. There are three things I want you to notice this morning in this passage. Number one, Compassion for a world in need of Jesus leads us to recognize the difference in people. Everybody's different. Didn't you love those snowflakes that came down the other day? 
Now, as you look back and see all the sunshine, most of you can say, yeah, I like that, but I was so glad it didn't stick. I hate to say this, but I was sorry it didn't stick. I like snow. But any of the, well, the snowflakes are all different. Every snowflake is different. Every individual in this room is different. Everybody we try to deal with is a little bit different. We don't win people the same way. A few weeks ago, maybe days ago, someone said, now, would you visit a lady named Helen Grimes? I didn't know her. I'd forgotten. I did know her years ago, but I'd forgotten. They said, would you visit her? She's in the hospital, very sick. So I went in to see her. She had a beautiful smile, white hair. I've forgotten what age she is. I talked to her the moment, introduced myself. She said, yes, I remember you. And I said, have you ever given your heart to Jesus? Oh, she said, no, but I want to. I said, wouldn't you like to right now? She said, I sure would. And in about five minutes, I showed her from the Bible how to be saved. She gave her heart to Christ. And she told her family about it. And within just a few days, she was in heaven. All I did was just share the word of God with her. One time. She gave her heart to Christ. There's a man in our auditorium this morning. I visited him every week for 13 weeks one summer years ago. And I told him every, every night I went there, I told him everything I knew about how to be saved. And he didn't trust Christ. Just put it off, put it off, and put it off, and put it off, and put it off. And finally, the devil said, well, you don't need to go back anymore. You're just making a pest of yourself. So uh, one night I was going to go. I drove in front of his house, and the devil said, don't go in there. You, you just make a pest of yourself. You've said everything you know to say. Go on somewhere else. So I drove on past his house, and the Lord said, you better go back and talk to him. So I turned the car around and went back and parked in front of his house, and the devil said, don't go in there. He doesn't want to see you. You know he doesn't care about you. He doesn't want you to come. I drove on down the street. The Lord said, you better go back. I went back. That happened about five times. I drove up and down Hope Street over and over again. And finally, the Lord said, you better go. And I ran back there and I parked my car and got out before the devil could say another word. Walked up to the door, knocked on the door. His wife came to the door. I said, I want to see your husband. Well, she said, he's back there getting ready to go fishing. I just walked on through the house, right through the kitchen. I'd never done that before. I went back and sat down on the, the little curb back there, a little concrete block. He was fixing his ladder. He was getting ready to go fishing. And I said, God loves you. I don't know anything else to say to you, but I love you too, and God wants you to be saved. And some tears began to trickle down. In just a few minutes, that dear man gave his heart to Jesus. Would some make a difference? Everybody had won the same way. You don't win everybody the same day you go. And some make a difference. Well, I think of a man that I went to see in the nursing home just a few days ago. Mike Lindsay was home, and he and I went out visiting and went over to the nursing home where his uncle lived. I'd known his uncle years and years ago. 
He lived over on Newton. And I went into this place and he was eating lunch. I said, uh, I don't want to bother you, but could I talk to you just a moment about Jesus? Oh, yes. He said, I'd like to know about him. I explained how to be saved, and in just about three minutes, Bubba gave his heart to Jesus. What am I saying? On some make a difference. And that's what he says here. With some, have compassion, making a difference. Not everybody's the same way. I heard about a man who went to witness to a man over and over and over again. And finally, when the man wouldn't trust Christ as his Savior, the guy said, all right, go on to hell then. And he walked off. Now, normally you would never say that to a person. But that so jarred that guy that he sent after the fellow. He said, come back here. Tell me how to avoid hell. And he gave his heart to Jesus. I'm just saying we don't win everybody the same way. No two people fit into a mold where like the snowflakes, we're all different. And we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit to know how to make a difference. On some, having compassion make a difference. On some, scare them if you can. Fill them with fear. That's what he says right here. Pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the, the stench of the fire. But get them to God somehow. Well, let me go on. Secondly, in this passage, not only is he talking about the compassion that leads us to make a difference in the way we approach people about Christ, but a concern for the instruction of the Word of God leads us to recognize there's a difference between the holy and the profane. Turn your Bible to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. Look over here at Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10. One of the most scary chapters in the Bible. If you ever want to get scared in your spiritual life, read that chapter. Leviticus 10. Listen to this. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense therein and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now they were in the work of the Lord, but they did not put a difference between the holy and the profane. Look down beginning in verse uh, 8. And the Lord spoke unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations, that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. If ever we needed a message like that, it's today. We're talking about God's people who have forgotten there's a difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the profane. And you and I need to get our lives in such touch with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God can whisper inside, and we'll have the discernment to know inside our hearts the difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the profane. We have a lot of God's people living unholy lives, profane lives. Now the word profane we usually associate with profanity, and we think of cursing and swearing and maybe barnyard language, and a lot of Christians' mouths are filled like that with little S words and F words and D words. Shame on us. Those are unclean. Those are unholy. And if 
God speaks to your heart about that today. Resolve in your soul, I'm going to put a difference between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean, the holy and the profane. But not only in our mouths and our words, but our eyes. I think, and you may disagree with me totally, and that's your prerogative, I think the best thing that could happen to all of us if we would get rid of our television sets. You can't hardly watch TV without seeing profane suggestions come right to your heart and mind. And if you're half alive, it's going to bother you. Now, if you're dead, it doesn't bother you. Or if you're abnormal, something wrong with you, it doesn't bother you. But if you're half alive, all those striptease things that go on right in front of us, and all the sex images, and all the bedroom scenes, and all those things... A difference between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean. You say, I don't like that preacher. Thank you. I didn't really ask you. You just let God deal with your heart about it. This scripture says there, we need to have a difference. There needs to be a difference in our lives as Christians, as God's people. A difference between the holy and the unholy, the clean and the unclean, the profane a difference. I don't know how many people today are overtaken by, pro, by per, pornography. There must be lots of, lots of people because the magazine shelves are filled with it and those companies make millions and millions of dollars by selling this trash. You hear every once in a while some prominent star posed nude they put him on the centerfold of one of those filthy magazines and some of people buy them. Profane. Man. Taking beautiful sex and making it a subject of unholiness and filth. And so he says on some make a difference. Making a difference. Now there's a third thing and I've got to hurry. My time is up. There's a third thing that I want to leave in your heart that I think comes from this text. And that is care about people and our own uh, lives as they touch other people will cause us to want to make a difference in their lives. Henry Longfellow wrote, Lives of Great Men, <coughs> all remind us, we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints in the sands of time. I want to know if you want to leave footprints in the sands of time. We had the funeral of Miss Lily Cook yesterday, wonderful, beautiful lady, 86 years old. She left behind some footprints. I talked to her son, Tommy, late last night. Tommy said, I used to drink. He said, I never went to mother's house when I drank. Never went around her. I tried to not, not let her know she know I did it. He said, I was saved seven years ago. Amen. Now listen, I want to know if our lives are going to be such 
that they will make a difference in somebody else's life. I thank the Lord for Charlie Wilson. He served in our city government for over 20 years. He was invited to the great meetings of this city, the Chamber of Commerce and the other places and all of these restaurants and then in Washington and other places. While other the men drank their beer and whiskey and guzzled, but Charlie Wilson never touched it. He maintained a strong testimony. He got elected year after year after year. One day he was candidate for our mayor. And I want to tell you, all through those years, you know what he did on Sunday? He didn't go visit a whole bunch of different churches. His political career, career could, have, could have suggested that. He could have gone here one Sunday and here another Sunday, here another Sunday, and, and gotten everybody to know him. He came here every Sunday. Every Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Shake, shook hands with thousands and thousands of people. Not as a political candidate, but as a Christian. Inviting people to Jesus. He made he makes a difference. Amen. He makes a difference in people's lives. Do you want your life to really make a difference? I think of Dr. Clyde Gordon. 81 years old. He has preached over 64 years and thousands and thousands of sermons. Been pastor all over Mississippi and, and Kentucky. And then he retired from after 13 years at Andrew Baptist Church. And you know what he did? As a retired man, he could just go around and visit different churches and say, well, I'm free now. I can just go here and there and go on. You know what he did? He moved his membership over here. Amen. Right. He's here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, goes soul winning on Amen. Thursday all the time. He makes a difference. Right. Don't you get blessed when you just see him come in the door? Amen. You meet him out in the street somewhere. Don't you get blessed? He's right. making a difference. I want to know if our lives are going to make a difference in the life of somebody else. If we're going to make a difference, first of all, we need to be sure we're saved. Know that Christ lives in our heart, that we're God's child by faith. And secondly, find a great purpose and then commit yourself to that purpose for the rest of your life. Just stand by it. Stick to it. Don't veer from it. Follow it. Now, everybody won't be called to preach. Some will. I believe there are some in this auditorium who have been called to preach. Maybe Amen. you haven't surrendered yet. Right. Not everybody will be called to preach. Not everybody will be called to be an Ira Sankey to lead our singing like Brother Buster, Brother Lloyd, and others. Not everybody will be called to do that. Not everybody will be called to be a church secretary or an organist. Some will. Not everybody be called to be a Christian school teacher. Some will. But whatever God calls you to do, whether it's to be a doctor or a lawyer or a ditch digger or somebody works in political office, whatever it is, like Ron Lewis, thank God for a Christian in public office. Whatever God calls you to do, stick to it as a Christian. Put your spiritual best foot forward under the banner of the love of God and serving. Now, if you're not saved, most of the things that I've said to you this morning don't really touch your heart. But this is the thing, as I close the message, that I want to speak to you about. The Lord Jesus Christ made a difference in the world. The whole course of human history has been changed by one life. 
He never went more than 60 miles from his hometown. He never wrote a book. He never made a radio or a television appearance. And yet the life of that one solitary man has changed the entire course of history. He went to a cross. And on an old rugged cross, he gave his life, his blood, for our sins. And sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. And millions and millions of people during these 2,000 years have come to Jesus and found in him the best friend they ever had. The forgiver of their sins, the savior of their lives, the companion who would be in all of life's experiences because Christ makes the difference. He'll make the difference in your life if you'd let him in. May we pray together. With our hearts bowed and humbled before God, is there anybody here who really loves Jesus, but you've never let it be known? You've never taken that open stand for God. You're here, you need to follow the Lord in open confession of your faith in Christ. You've been saved maybe alone somewhere. You need to make it public. Some of you have been saved but have never been baptized. You need to come and take that stand for God. Some of you have never been saved. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you'd come to Jesus today? Our Father, we pray that somebody will step out from the crowd and come to the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Years ago, in a great revival crusade, Arasanke wrote the words, I have a Savior. He's pleading in glory. A dear loving Savior, though earth's friends be few. Number, page number 300 in our books, we're going to sing that. And as we sing it, if you're here and you've never come to Christ, you've never made an open commitment of your life to Him, do it today. You may say, well, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know what to say. You come and let us show you from the Bible. If you've been saved and you haven't confessed Christ openly, come today. If you've been saved and you need to follow him in baptism, you come too. If you're a member of some other church and God wants you at Glendale, you come today. While we begin to sing, will you step out for Christ?